I'm Ray. This is the Dreams and Hope podcast. So excited to be here again today. Yes, really good to be back in the room. It's been a while. Oh my gosh, it's been a month. (laughs) Yeah, our first episode, um, we haven't done any promotion. We haven't told really anybody about it. There's people that have found it, but um, it's been a while. So kind of got out of rhythm. So hopefully we'll get on good rhythm. It's been hard to find the rhythm. Right. I think life is happening at your end and my end. It is. It is. Things are. Things have. Um, things have been always moving in the last, really since January, and I know. Uh, moving so much that it's almost a day-to-day decision making. So I can make plans, but I got to be flexible and just if I got to switch them, I will. <laughs> it must have been. Uh hard for you because that's a completely different mindset it really is it really is my i you and i have talked before i'm a natural well i don't know if it's natural but i've become a workaholic and so being a workaholic and having things scheduled and and uh, being very driven and so just every day just i have a plan i see the future and i just go after it Um, this season has really showed me or taught me or i've been forced to stop all that and completely change gears. True, true. <clears throat> you know, I've been thinking about about just your journey and I feel like I am a witness on the journey. I I love being a witness. I think that's a very uh, very important thing for what I do for many people in my life and I as I grow older, I've I've enjoyed being witness more than someone who helps out or fixes things or makes everything better i i would really pride myself as a physician i pride myself on helping people but as i do do more work i feel like i work with children and i feel like the work that i do the hardest work that i do is being a witness and being a constant witness yeah so that's that's kind of what I do. So when but, you say witness, what's the, what do you mean by that? Because I think different people think different things, um, depending on religion, depending on society, depending on politics. So, so when you say witness, you're more than just an observer. It's not just observing. So for sure, yes. So let me actually uh, give you an example of how I'm a witness. So I work with children who are in foster care and who are adopted. So I have this beautiful little girl and uh, she and I met uh, in my clinic about five years ago. And she came because she really couldn't tolerate um, sharing toys, Mm -hmm. attention, parental attention with babies. And so she came to the clinic because they were... The foster care parents were worried about her hurting younger yeah. siblings. And uh, I mean, she's just heavenly. She wanted to be loved so desperately and she had really difficult early childhood experiences. Horrendous. Yeah. I think difficult is not going to capture what she had. So she had really horrendous uh, abuse. And um, the first time I met her, I gave her a doll and the doll was pretty old. It was almost a real life-size baby. And I <laughs> said, take care of the baby. And maybe if you if you can remember, then bring it back to the clinic. Now, the doll was pretty ugly. It was butt naked. And uh, I thought this would be a symbol for what she's struggling with. The doll never came back to the clinic, thankfully. I mean, it was pretty <laughs> ugly. <laughs> it's too ugly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, you know, she she got over the challenge that she was struggling with and I didn't really have to do much. Hmm. Since then, she has been through three or four different placements and now she's in a placement that's actually stable. Hmm. So she's in a very loving, kind home and she's doing really well. But I've seen her through this, this journey of growing up. 
I've seen, so this is how I mean to be a witness. I could actually worry a lot about her, give her handouts, give parents handouts, or I could just be present unconditionally with unconditional positive regard. And maybe even hoping that things will work out and well, of course, if they don't work out and if there is a risk, then intervening when appropriate, but mm. not intervening in every single situation in a child's life has been a lesson that I have learned as a child psychiatrist in the last 10 years that I have worked with really, really uh, difficult yeah. family situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So does that... Does that, that answers my question. And actually, the the your your job... And the way that you process and witness, you know, observe and, and and actually see change, you know, over time, it's not just it's not just a an ornament on the wall. It's a it's almost like there's guideposts, there's a path, but you're not forcing anybody to take the path. You're just like, here's some here's a path, here's some tools, and you're witnessing if they do it or not, and you see the transformation based on that. Is that kind of encompass what you're? describing because because a a a mere witness you're not just a reporter you know i'm saying like i'm not a reporter so (laughs) so so, yeah so like a witness like someone that witnesses a a crash and the police come and they interview them they're reporting on what they saw you're more than that so you're a witness that's that's active because you're interacting but you're not forcing someone so now I'm questioning the use of my word witness no but witness is good and I'll I'll tell you why (laughs) because I think it's a that's what I do um Separate career, separate focus with people, but that's what I do. I'm a mm. witness. But my witnessing is the same thing, life change, people making making steps. But in my career, all I do is say, here's here is a path. And if you'd like to take the path, there's tons of paths, but if you'd like to take this path, this may help in this specific situation. But I don't care if you take the path or not, I'll still witness and walk with you. You know what I'm saying? And so there's, it's a parallel, but I do think you give tools. So you're a witness with tools. That it could be, but to be honest, I don't really tell people the path because each one has their own path. Each family, there are a million ways to be a parent. Right. There are a million ways to be a family. And so maybe path is not the right word. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's um, tools. (laughs) Maybe that's all it is. You know, you know, tools for your path. Tools sound so simplistic. I, I, I feel know. like I walk with my patients, my friends, and many acquaintances. I just walk with them. Mm-hmm. I'm present with them. So if I am with you, I am present with you in that moment. And I am seeing you mm-hmm. in maybe your journey. And if I know you well, then I get to see your journey Mm-hmm. your life journey a little bit better than if I would just meet you for a second. Right. Like, for example, we met right. on The Rock right. and uh, we were never going to really meet again nope. because you are the northern. <laughs> you <laughs> yes. are not going to be from Oklahoma, right? No, right, right, right. So It was an accidental convergence of our paths. Yes, so we were just <laughs> going to be a witness right. in, in that, that moment. moment. Yes, and what I have tried to do is just live the moment. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm living the moment with my patients, I'm living the moment with my, with my friends. If I'm living the moment, then I don't need to really think about the next moment. Right. But how do you, with a patient? I know I'm turning the, turning the tables on you and asking you oh, questions. Oh I'm supposed to. But what's <laughs> how do you how do you practice your career? How do you practice psychiatry with patients and help them without telling them what to do? Because a wit, you know, and, and it's almost like a hands-on walk with witness. I do that in my job. I'm a pastor, so I do I do very similar. And I never, I know a lot of pastors and probably a lot of psychiatrists tell people what to do. I've never taken that approach. I have things that work for me, but I know they won't work for you but I'll be there with you no matter what decisions you make. And so if you fall in a ditch, I'll go ahead and get in the ditch with you. That's fine. So how do you work with someone? Because you actually have a job where people are expecting results. And so if you, like this 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 uh, child with the doll, it's like you gave her the doll. So you gave her something. 
and maybe it's not a tool that's too easy to say, but I gave you gave her, her my an element. Trust. You gave her no, an element. No. Okay. So I gave her my trust. Okay. And then she, it was up to her whether she destroyed yes. it or not. Yeah. Yes. So that was still. So it was, it was still not a directing. tool I gave. Yeah. I gave her my unconditional positive regard, which yeah. means that I I I believed in. Yeah. So her. how many times does that work and doesn't work? I don't know. Maybe I'm lucky. <laughs> So you're you're more. I think my point is, and just from knowing you since last year, is like, yes, you're witnessing, but you're also intuitive enough to be like, okay, in this moment, this needs to be said, or in this moment, this needs to be for sure, encouraged. For sure. And so it's almost like a, like if we're up in the Rockies and we're walking, and I'm about to take a step off the path and actually hurt myself, you'll be like, hey, the trail's over here. If you'll go this way, now you're not going to keep me from going off the path, but it's more like, hey, just. Let's talk or maybe distract me or whatever, you know. That's a great analogy. So I think I probably will distract people and I will not let them know mm. that they are making a mistake because that is shaming right, right. to let people know that Agreed. they are making a mistake. So without trying to shame people, I think what sometimes happens is you build a trust yeah. and you, you feel like, they trust me enough to know that I'm not, that I have their best interest at heart. So I feel it works because it's a relationship. It doesn't work right. without a relationship as a base. And most families that I work with, so I work with really not just the children because right. what can you tell an eight-year-old in 30 minutes? Not well, and much. also it's an environmental thing, so you can't just... Yes, it's a systemic thing. Right. So really, families come to trust the process and maybe a little bit of me, but they do, do come to trust the process and they start believing in themselves. They start making changes mm -hmm. they are not even aware of. Right. And uh, the changes come from within. They are not some tools that they take from me. Mm -hmm. I am kind of a unconditionally supportive witness that acknowledges the struggle of just being a parent. And you break the script. I think what you're describing is if you can distract someone or call their attention to something, knowing that the path they're on is going to be destructive, and you're basically just calling attention to pause, it's almost like you're breaking the script for a minute and then giving them a chance to actually ground and maybe move forward in a different way. Because handing that girl that little doll, I mean, it could have gone all sorts of different ways. But my stakes were very low. I know. It was the an ugly doll. Do <laughs> <laughs> it was an ugly doll. So, but it was a big, uh, big thing for her. Oh, I know. Because this child Well, she had... didn't know that we it know was No, she a... knew. No, I'm saying she didn't know that it wasn't that big a deal. Oh, she did not know. I mean, for, for I the way it... you presented it was like, oh, this is a big thing. This is... So you broke the script in her life. I happened. did. I said, yeah. I trust you enough to take care of a precious baby doll. And probably the first time she's ever experienced someone trusting her. She had some really difficult things, but you know, some kids are just so amazing. I'm just so humbled. Yeah. Like I feel like if I had one percent of the trauma that she had, I probably wouldn't survive. Mm. But these kids just make me feel humbled by their resiliency. Right. Right. So, uh, so she, I mean, she's just amazing in so many ways, and uh, I, I, I. I am really careful to not break confidentiality because right. because uh, that's something that I really that I re I'm really protective for 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 my patients and I'm not even supposed to be a doctor on this talk. I'm supposed to be right. I don't know well, what you're a person. You're, a I person. mean, but you have experience. I mean, you yes, you're a human, but you have things that you've witnessed. I think the word witness carries some weight as far as like credibility, and so. I think that's why, you know, like even in the law, if there's no eyewitness, if there's no even two eyewitnesses, it doesn't, it's not real. And so I think the word witness is good because you're witnessing it, but you don't get to go tell anybody. <laughs> you know, it's just something you get to keep yourself. Now you can generally tell people, but specifically that person's story, like they're the only ones, you and her, they're, they, that family and you are the only ones that are going to know. Yes, that's, that's like the privilege. Yeah. You know, with this privilege comes pain. Yeah. Because often I'm holding a lot of pain for a lot of people and um, it's hard. Yeah. So I think a lot of times it uh, it's a recipe for burnout if I'm carrying this pain, yeah. not having 
a place where I think probably the hardest thing for a child psychiatrist is holding the pain of the family. Mm. So if if you're not able to do that, then you have to really fix it, fix things. So active intervention is often when you don't want, don't when there is too much pain. Mm. So for example, I'll find myself like some days just like wanting to give tools and handouts and I don't know fixing things. If I'm too active, I know that I'm trying to really intervene. In things that I cannot. Right. So I, I know sometimes that they are helpful. Don't get me wrong. Right. I have, like, But they might not be ready for it. Yes. So you have to be ready. And I have like 10,000 pages of handouts over the last 15 <laughs> years. I'm quite OCPD. <laughs> so uh, my Dropbox has literally at least 10,000 files. At least. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Yeah. So I showed it to one of my bosses uh, like a few years ago. And she was like, Swapna, maybe you should write a book. And I was like, ah, oh, it's not good enough for a book. <laughs> well, maybe it is. <laughs> Who knows? But I'm saying that I have these tons of handouts because over the years when I started, I was handout heavy. Yeah. And as I'm older, I'm handout sparse. But that's probably practice. maturity, though. That's probably grown and experience with people because you can't. It's not one size fits all. And I, I think mm. that's the the approach with medicine, the approach even as a pastor the tendency is I learned this in seminary. I learned this from the vocation. So this is what you do every time. That's not true because every single person is different and every, every situation is different. Every, every interaction is different. And so if you don't like in the beginning of a career, even as a pastor or a psychiatrist, you're like, okay, I'm gonna stick to the book and blah, you know, the handouts and all that stuff, tools. But the more you go, it's intuitive because you're like, okay, this person doesn't need that tool. They would just throw it away. It would just be a waste. Jesus said himself, throwing pearls to swine. It's like, it's pretty offensive visual. But when you take a pearl that's pretty and, and precious and you give it to a pig, <laughs> he can't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And so the the whole point is be careful where you give the tools because they're going to be used or not. And so it's a wasted tool. But maybe there's a point when someone can be, um, someone can be ready for it. So, but I think for in, sure, in, for in, sure. in ministry and in, in, in medical, the mental practice, you know, with the psychiatry or therapy, I mean, those, those things are very, very, um, uh, it's a big deal that if you're not careful how you handle it, it can really send someone down a wrong path. Even though you're not intending to create a path, it actually can send someone down a wrong path if you don't handle it well. And then you have stories of, you know, abuse, you have stories of manipulation that just, it's not coercion, healthy. coercion. Yeah. And then people end up, and this is what humanity does. Humanity conforms externally so that the people that are expecting a change, let them, let, let them go. Well, their heart and their mind is really not changed. Right. Um, so I think being a witness is a good word. Um, it reminds me of, uh, Hebrews, uh, passage in scripture where it says that there's a cloud of witnesses. And so people that have gone before us are actually clouds of witnesses to our experience. So we can learn from them or not. And I think that's really what it comes Say down that again, to. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So there's a cloud of witnesses. Um, there's two chapters in the book of Hebrews. They're called, one of them is the, it's called the chapter of faith. And it's just mm -hmm. heroes of the faith. So it goes down and it lists all their accomplishments, just normal, regular people that had big accomplishments. And then at the end, it says, then there was these that did this, 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 and it's just general. And that's us. Well, then the next chapter starts out with, and with this great cloud of witnesses. Aww. And so it's these people that are observing in the, in the past, mm -hmm. but also we're going to become one of the witnesses. Mm -hmm. And so um, we can accept their advice or not. That's our choice. That's what a witness does. And that's why the word witness, I think, is a good word. I just was curious the way you view yourself mm -hmm. as a witness, because someone could take your advice or not. It's up mm -hmm. to them. And, you know, being telling yourself that you don't have to do more than be a witness is also very self-compassionate. Yeah, Because if you try to help everybody, that's a recipe for burnout. How many patients can a, can a doctor um, work with in their lifetime? Like, oh. is that number even, is there a number? You know, I, I was trying to think of it because for six years I was the director of child psychiatry at OU. And mm -hmm. uh, what I was thinking was, if I can impact one physician, 
they can impact five to ten thousand people in their lifetime. And wow. so, and child psychiatrists are very, very few because you do medical school, you mm. do residency, which is either three or four years in adult psychiatry. So all of us child psychiatrists are fully trained adult psychiatrists. And then there is two extra years of training, which doesn't pay more than the adult psychiatry. <laughs> so there is no financial. So it's, a, it's a passion. It's a labor of love. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there is no financial incentive unless you have love. Your, love. Yeah. And it takes special kind of love to to try to help broken families, yeah. which is, it's like oncology of... Mm, of your mind. Mind and emotions. Yes, families, right? It's yeah. like... What's the what's the average span of time that you spend with a patient, though? Like over, like, is it six months? Is it a year? Is it three months? I mean, what's the average? Because I think that also plays into it. Because like in my, in my, I hate to call it vocation, but in my calling... Um, I like calling and yeah, I like it's a calling. passion, it's I love, it's, it's, I wouldn't do this, it's not for the money. <laughs> yeah, this is just a, clearly. It's something in my heart. Yes. So, but in mine, it's like, you don't expect a time frame. It's almost like as you, as someone comes into your life, it's for life. And I'm wondering if psychiatry is kind of like, there's a season. Now I know practically there's a season even for me, but you don't go into it saying, oh, it's only going to be six months with this person. It's only going to be three months with this person. It's only going to be a year with this person. You go into it as like, man, this is my family for life. And so so the reason I'm saying that is because there's a capacity too. You know, humans can only truly manage like well under 50 relationships, like good ones. How do you get that number? No, I'm, I, okay, the, we'll, we'll there's a number the that's 70. First. There's a number that's 70, okay, but that's on, not on. deep relationships. Hold I'm on. just talking about your circle. So the circle, let's let's come back. Uh, let's come back to your original question. Yes. The question was how long how long people how long do I expect people to stay with me? To be honest, once I have a relationship with a patient, I'm curious about them for life. And I think that's what makes you different. <laughs> no, but seriously, because most doctors don't think about it. They're just like bang, 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 go through it. And but you then just get attached like this little how can you not? Like, how can you not? Like, I have, so I started my fellowship in 2007, which was two years. So in 2009, so I still remember each and every session in my formative fellowship. So I was very dedicated student. Yeah. And I had um, weekly psychotherapy sessions with at least seven or eight patients, which was one hour, 60 minutes every week with six to seven patients, which is a significant amount for a trainee. And I remember all their stories. They have moved on. Mm -hmm. They don't need me. They don't need my services. But I'm still curious. But that's satisfying. Yeah, that's satisfying. I don't know if it's satisfying. I miss No, them. but it is just because they've graduated. And I think uh, in, in my life, there's a critical moment where people need help. But then there's a part where they're they're fine, but we're still in the circle. Because they're they're fine, they don't need my help, which that's gratifying to me. It's um, like your children, right? You yeah. Are, there are active phases where your child. And there's some kids you're like, ah, oh, it's gonna be thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> so your child needs a diaper change yeah, and really right. cannot cannot do that, and then right. you really have to actively help. <laughs> yes. Well, then you go back when they're you know when they don't need a diaper change anymore. You know, my kids are ten and fourteen, and you're like, man, I really miss those times when they needed me. But I don't miss it enough to want to go back there. But you miss that closeness, you know. So I think I, I wonder if that's how relationships are, even with uh, psychiatry, being a pastor. There's these close relationships that eventually they're not. And you're like, oh, I miss those days, but not really. I don't want to go back there because it was critical. It was a crisis, right. you know. But I still enjoyed the that part of the journey. Yeah, and then some people stay and uh, they don't need the active intervention. So yeah. what usually happens with people that I see is. If they need to see me, I usually see them 30 minutes once a month. And okay. that's the active phase. So that's just like a touch point. That's just... a touch point. Uh, but most people actually do amazing with yeah. that touch point. Yeah. Now, there are people, maybe 5% people who just are, they don't have a place to stay. They don't yeah. have a home. They don't have a family. And these people really just struggle. And there's not much I can do about it. Right. I cannot in my 30 minutes, create a family. And that's my whole point about the capacity level because you cannot, capacity-wise, help everyone. 
and they can't be close forever. Otherwise you'd be stuck with, like if you're, if you have an open a practice <laughs> and you say, okay, my max is 40 people. Well, once you get to 40, you're done and then you can't help anybody else. And so you know that there's this cycle that, that people move out, you know? Yes. And I think even and the same with this ministry, if I said I can only help 40 people, I mean, that'd be pretty quick, <laughs> pretty quick ministry. You'll you know? be done. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Right. I think that's, that's a great point. You know, part of me wants to give back to the yeah. community and the podcast is maybe one way to do it without having an official patient doctor relationship because mm -hmm. as you say how many patients can i really really help and me being a teacher at osu doing resident supervision doing maybe even academic writing so i'm writing two papers on obesity and sleep oh wow so those are maybe even touch points to just give back to yeah give back to the community and kind of a broader audience like a yeah. broader reach yes so yeah. and and i feel like who reads those papers maybe 10 people or maybe more maybe sorry. more yeah um if you maybe... write it well it's probably more. <laughs> <laughs> well that's uh that's that's yes that's true but even if it's written well maybe it impacts 30 people who are doctors and then oh yeah and they impact all of the impact yeah. so you know you have we have it's hard to know your impact. You, I guess you just have to do your job well. And I think that's, you know, you were talking before we hit record the the title of this episode, which I know I took us off track, but that truly me, it, it takes resiliency, but it also takes bravery to actually go down this path. Because once you, once you do it a couple times, you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this because you end up helping someone, they move on. And then you're like, well, now I got to do this all over again. And it becomes very tiresome. You know, you have kind of some fatigue over time. It's not, maybe it's compassion fatigue, or maybe it's just simple fatigue of, of helping and starting over every single time with people. It could be just fatigue of action. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, cause I think, so, I think we like, eventually we like monotony because monotony kind of keeps us, it's expected. Now I'm a strange person cause I like, I don't like monotony. I like, I get bored really quick. So I like to change things up. Um, but I, I think the average person it's what it, what it sounds like, it seems like, is they like routine and monotony because that's manageable. You know, once you change it up or, or, or change the script, it becomes hard to, to manage, especially if it's always happening. You know, I would argue that the average person, just like us, you and me, like, like, like this automated things, like you don't think every morning whether to brush your teeth or not. So right. There are some automated things in your life that you do, but there are also some things that are exciting, new and learning and growing. But so, does it stress people out? Because I think some people get real reactive to change. change. Yeah. Some people do, they do, and I think they may have good reason. Yeah. So I feel like some of our legacy of how we react to change or who right. we are is not just our life experiences, but some even trans generational life experiences yeah, yeah like my mother is quite shy and she's always been shy all her life she was someone who didn't speak much growing up and then she had some challenging life experiences and uh, she she feels sometimes like like her kids don't hear her or see her well and and I try being a child psychiatrist and a psychiatrist does not mean that I'm a good listener to my mother. Right, right. So, so I try, but I feel like it's something that we both have to work hard at. She has to let me know from time to time, like, hey, Swapna, you are again talking a lot. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to be mindful that she, she needs more space than I do. Right. Right. That some some people just need more time and space and support to to get to yeah. to talk as much as me. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people are made to some people are I guess are made to talk and others are not. And some some people are made to process things quietly and others are out loud and some people are made to be in front of people and some are not. You know, that's just that's yes. kind of the way our world works. And I I'm thinking over the last we're in April, man. The last three and a half months have been a complete change for me. I mean, it's been a different pace. You know, what I'm saying? I have it's been like, so curious, Ray, because uh, because uh, I mean, you have had a life changing thing yeah. happen in January. I remember 
we were going to do a self compassion yeah. podcast on january 3rd like third, and, yeah yes yeah. and i i'm one of my colleagues had covid so i had to cancel and reschedule that and then a train hit you guys yeah. so so tell tell me like tell tell me because i don't want to tell, be yeah. the i don't want to give you words i'll tell i'll tell you i, I it's kind of started before that but that's really where it came to a climax like kind of like a, a climax i guess you could say kind of like the top of the mountain but uh starting in september uh, i got kind of a sense that i needed to shuffle some of my responsibilities um uh, I'm a pastor of a, a church that's growing. Uh, there's lots of responsibilities here, but I also am an entrepreneur, so I like to be involved in all sorts of different things. And so I'm I'm involved in things in our community um, as far as like nonprofits. I'm a I'm on the board of a local compassion ministry. Um, I also love people that are in my line of work, and I think <laughs> the way I put it is, if you're dumb enough to answer that call, then I I'll walk with you. You know, and so I'm part of an organization that. Uh, coaches, pastors, and it's called um, Tall Oaks, and it's the tagline is you're you weren't meant to walk alone, and so it's mm, kind I of in our it's tagline. in our line it's in our line of what we're talking about, and so I'm involved in that. I'm involved in um, of course our church, but then also involved anything. It's hard for me to say no to things. So if a door opens, I say yes and let's go. Uh -oh. So so I found myself. It's a recipe for burnout from a child psychiatry well, and, and psychiatry perspective. Well, people have asked me, and so I've I've done tests. Actually, back in September, I was I've done tests on burnout because I'm like, huh, I wonder if I'm in, I wonder if I'm capable. And I, I even asked Christy, my wife, I was like, do I seem like someone that's burned out? She goes, you don't. And I'm like, I know because I don't feel like I'm. I love all this stuff, you know. And so I did the tests, and no, I'm fine. And so, <laughs> so anyway, but in September, I just sensed that there was something that I needed to shift an open space for. And mm -hmm. so, um, I was driving home from from Edmond, and I I was talking through this in my mind and kind of thinking through it. And I was like, what do I need to do? Do I, what is it? And I, and I, I had this experience. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was an experience in the car. And basically it was like, if you want to pastor Bethel, just pastor Bethel. That was kind of like the, it wasn't audible or anything, but it's kind of like this thing came to me. And so I pulled over on the side of the turnpike and I pulled over and I was like, okay, so let's think about this. If you want to be the pastor, be the pastor of Bethel. And I was like, what does that mean? And so the implications were, Ray, you're involved in so many things and you say you want to do this, but you actually have all these other things you're involved in. And so basically focus your life is really kind of what it came down to. And so I said, okay, I need to write down the things that I'm involved in, the things I do. So you were doing all of this on the side of the turnpike? Yes. I oh my parked, gosh. I pulled over because I was like, okay, I need to think through this. So then I said, okay, I got to go get some paper and I got to write down the things that I'm involved in. So I, went, I drove on and I went to my office and I started writing things that I'm doing. And on page 11, I stopped. What? Yeah, I know. You're I know. crazy. I know. And so I made a commitment that day. I was like, from this day till December 31st, I'm going to drop everything except these, these, these couple things that are part of my passion. Because a lot of things I can get passionate about, but really things that I feel like I'm supposed to do. And so um, from September, I don't oh know, the gosh. date, it was like, I have it written down. From there until December 31st, I began letting go of all these responsibilities. And sure enough, on December 31st, I had a little party. I was like, good, I got it. I did it. I finished honest, all this stuff. I don't believe that you reached page 11. I might have to see those pages. I'll have to show you. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, where, I I'll, don't I'll believe kidding. that. <laughs> I'll show you. I mean, I it's just, ridiculous things. It's ridiculous, but still, I, I will not I wish believe it wasn't it. true. No, I'm not believeing it till <laughs> I see it. I'm just... Okay, I'll, I'll show you. But I wish it wasn't true because it's embarrassing. It really is. Because I... I didn't think that it was that bad. And I don't know if you've ever done this where you're, you stack things in your life and you begin to accommodate them and you say, oh, it'll be fine. I have this little, this little time. And I found that I didn't have time. I mean, I found that I was like basically every hour of my day and every day of the week was scheduled. And if it wasn't on my schedule, I couldn't do it. So I would like squeeze things in and, oh, this meeting over here on Thursday nights and this, oh, I can't do that one, but I can do it over here on Tuesday. And so the workaholic is now making sense. Yes. And so it was, over, it was a lot. And my wife's been telling me this for a long, long time. This is not, not new. This has been my whole She's life. She's your angel. She is. So what was interesting is in the same time, and this kind of crosses the story, is that in November, my wife had a, a medical thing. And she was, she was, had she been sick for a while, kind of unhealthy, not unhealthy, just not feeling well for a while. And so um, she found out she had a little uh, basal cell carcinoma on her nose. Um, so that was 
we needed to cut it out. And, and because it was on the middle of her nose, right in the middle of her face, they suggest that she do plastic surgery, which means they got to pull some skin from somewhere else and patch it there. And, and that would make her have to sit and not move for three weeks because she could reject, her body could reject the, the transplant. And so this all happened in the beginning of November. And then on November 22nd was the actual surgery. And that's right around Thanksgiving, you know, that's Thanksgiving week. So, so I think it was Monday of Thanksgiving week, she had the surgery and it caused her to stop. Well, as she stopped, her body began to really tell her something was wrong. Um, and I think she was busy and she's, she's active as well. And so the, the, you kind of just ignore pains and stuff as you're, as you're active. Well, because she had to sit on the couch and in bed for three weeks, all this stuff kind of came to the surface. And so, so we finished that. She got a release from the doctor in December. Well, then the middle to the, from the middle to the end of December, she would oh. just felt terrible, like real sick. Um, she missed Christmas. She missed oh. New Year's on, on New Year's Eve. You know, the 31st I was celebrating because I had done my job to release these things. And she was just in so much pain. And so in the back of my head, I was like, I, I've got to get her into the doctor. There's something seriously wrong. Uh, we did all sorts of silly little things through because December is a weird month anyway. And so we did all sorts of weird little things trying to help her out. We went to urgent care and went to, you know, we had these guys come out and do um, like uh, um, hydration IVs at the house. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff. Well, December 31st, um, she missed our New Year's gathering that we always do with our family. Mm -hmm. She went to dinner with us and was sick the whole time. We came home. She went back to the house, went to bed, and I went and hung out with her family till midnight. And I felt really bad. So the next day I woke up and I was like, listen, we're going to the doctor. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll be fine. I was like, no, no, we're going to go to the doctor. And so on the second, um, I took her to urgent care. Or maybe it was the third, second or third. And um, we had a conversation. Remember? Oh, yeah, it was right around the same time. So on you were on my way to Tulsa. I, yes. I canceled the podcast, yes. but you and me chatted for almost for like an, an hour. hour. Yeah, yeah. Because the more you told me, the more Something's I started wrong. freaking out. Like yeah. I had this gut feeling. Me too. I mean, you, same thing. Yeah, it's like I, I, I mean, felt it. There was, it was something, just something wrong, and I was well, and, panicking at the end of the phone call. I was just like, "This is not stomach bug." Right, right. And and she thought, well, I did so many COVID tests, and she did so. I mean, we were just we were trying to find out, and I, in my heart, I knew something serious was going on, and so um, I wouldn't let her go. I finally, I, I let her decide until January second, and then I was like, "Okay, I'm taking over because you're not." you're not going to make the decision that needs to be made. Now, this is bad because you, you shouldn't do this with anybody. If, if it's your spouse, fine. Nobody else you shouldn't do this with. But with her, I was like, you're getting in the car. We're going. Sorry, you don't have a choice. So we went to urgent care on the 3rd. Mm -hmm. And in the it was the morning afternoon, went to urgent care. They sent off for some blood work. They scheduled like a me, CAT so scan. Was... They scheduled stuff. Right. But since it's urgent care, they don't do it right away. Right. And so that night, she got a fever. And I said, sorry, I'm not waiting. And so on the 4th, I load her up in the car in the morning and took her to the urgent, the ER. Right. Um, and that's really where everything went to, went to crap. Um, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, I don't have this, the stuff, but there's this internal intuition or a voice mm -hmm. or whatever that's like something serious wrong. Um, kind of to speed up the story, the 12th of January, we got a diagnosis. And that's really when things went bad. Mm. Um, before it was all suspicion, it was all speculation, it was all what ifs, it could be anything. But on the 12th of, of January, uh, we got a, a biopsy and that biopsy showed that Christy had a lar diffused large B cell lymphoma, mm. uh, which is um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. Um, on the 12th, they, on the, and really we didn't get that until a few days later, I'm just saying that's when they took the biopsy. But the uh, few days before, they're like, or that on that day, they're like, oh, she probably has colon cancer, stage mm. four colon cancer. They've got, she's got, oh, they kept bouncing it around all over the place. Yeah. Um, so until the pathology came back, and it was about a week, probably a little more than a week later, uh, the pathology came back and they said that she had lymphoma. And so it kind of derailed our life. So, so I told the backstory to kind of bring there because what happened was because I had released all those things that were on my plate. I could completely just focus on Christy. Mm -hmm. uh, so I never, I never went back to work. <laughs> I didn't, all my responsibilities were turned over. So it was a seamless, easy transition 
to become a caretaker immediately, like overnight, that which has never been my thing. That story is enough to make you a believer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, the thing is, I have been, I have been in a relationship with God for, since I was 18. Mm-hmm. And, and you had non-Hodgkin's. At 14, right? I had Hodg- Hodgkin's. Hodgkin's. So Hodgkin's lymphoma. So, so yeah. she has non-Hodgkin's yeah, and I have yeah, Hodgkin's. You, I don't know why I and made that. Joke I didn't know mistake. this, but there's only 5% of lymphomas that are not that are Hodgkin's. 95% are non-Hodgkin's. And so I had this pretty rare little small sliver of Hodgkin's. I think the difference is the the way it goes through your the the, the lymph nodes, like the lymph, lymphatic mm. system. Um, non-Hodgkin's is separately, normally outside. It's kind of like the source is outside, but it's spreads through the lymph, the lymphatic system. But yeah, I had Hodgkin's when I was 14. And so, oh. and that's why I kind of felt like in December, it was middle of December. I was like, I think she has cancer. So being I don't a cancer survivor yourself, yeah. you had the sense and, oh, yeah. and I know your treatment was pretty brutal, brutal. from, yeah. I think I didn't want to say the word brutal. It but... was brutal. <laughs> Actually, yesterday, uh, Christy had her fourth chemo. Oh. You know, I'm, I'm speeding way ahead, but Christy had her fourth chemo oh. yesterday. And I was sitting there, and we, we all, I go with her, we talk, and I don't even know if I'm supposed to go with her, but I just go. Um, yeah. They tell me I'm not supposed to, but they've never told me again. So I, I just go and barge in. But um, So I'm sitting there talking to her, and I'm looking at her. And it's all, a lot of the experiences, it's 30 years, 30 plus years ago, but a lot of it comes back. It's like... It's, it's reliving it. Yeah, it's reliving it. And it smells, it's visuals, oh. it's noises. I know. It is the weirdest. So, so yesterday, like very vividly, some of my experience popped in my, like I felt like I was reliving mm. it even yesterday. And so we had a conversation on the way home from treatment, like from the chemo yesterday. And I was like, hey, is this, do you feel this, this, and this? And she goes, yes. And I was like, oh, I, I, I know you do because that's oh what I gosh. did. So it's, it's a very surreal. It's very surreal. And it's almost like, so I'm a believer. Okay, I'm going to um, pause you for a minute sure. to just kind of sit with what you've shared just now because it's such a powerful thing that you shared. You know, it almost feels, I'm going to bring it back to the word witness. Yes. So it almost feels like you and Christy are each other's witnesses. Yes, that is very in, true. In this moment, she is witnessing your childhood trauma. Yes, she's living it she in is, the flesh. Yes, but... Yeah. I mean, she's living her own trauma, but she's also maybe in some sense has this window into what happened with you. And it's not it's not just empathy. It's actually experience. It's, it's, a, it's experience. actually it's she the, knows now what she I went knows through. what yeah. you went through. And yeah. maybe she's like, oh, my gosh, if I didn't love him before, right. this would be the time to fall in love again. Yeah. Because and truly, we have. I mean, this, because this is like almost yeah. re... Uh, Renewal of vows. Yes. In this. That's brief... coming, actually. We're going to do that. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> exciting. So hold off. Let's yes. stay on the topic. So I feel like, and you are being a witness to not only her, but yourself. Yes. Because you were a child when this happened. I know. You were 14. You, you to be a witness to yourself. Well, here's, at... how, here's how crazy it is. Yesterday, it hit me that I was 15 when the treatment stopped. So 14 when it started, 15 when it stopped. And I went to college at 18. That was just three years later. And I and for me, when I was going through it, college felt like it was so far away from cancer. But it was only three years. I was I barely know. in remission. And now, 30 years back, I'm like, that was soon. <laughs> like That was really quick. It was like going through all that trauma. And then I was in college looking back saying, oh, that was so long ago. I'm a cancer survivor. And it really wasn't. It was so, it was such a short time. And so life... You know, and I think a part of it is the child. You know, you don't quite, you're not developed in your brain. You really haven't quite experienced it. But as an adult, as a 45-year-old man, I'm like, wow, that kid went through you a lot. You were impressed with yourself. Seriously, in my family, I was imp- there was a lot of things that I was oh. really overwhelmed with uh-huh. uh, just because it was such a, it was a life-changing moment for me as a, as a 14, 15-year-old. Um, and and I just the way we went through it. So here, here's one of the, Here's one of the things that's really reliving in my mind. I'm so grateful for medicine. I'm so grateful for, um, I, I'm, I'm grateful that doctors don't just leave the status quo because it was brutal. And it's not, it's not that it's not brutal today, but there's so many advancements to make it more livable, maybe. Yeah. You know, like um, Christy has a port. 
She complains about the port. She said it's the worst thing ever. And I'm like, when I was 14, I begged for a port and they wouldn't give me one. So all my treatments were through my, through my, they actually stick you in the hand and then all that chemical goes up your arm. And so your arm is fried, like your veins in your Mm -hmm. arm is fried. It's cold. Like you, you would wrap it with a blanket and try to warm it. It would never warm up during treatment. And you'd sit there for six hours, you know, basically the difference is I don't, and this is bad for me to say, cause it's probably not, a, not accurate, but it was almost like it was a cold process because you'd walk into the hospital, they would poke your arm, they'd get it up, they'd sit you in a room and start the process oh. and they just leave you alone for four, six hours. And I was like, that's just not the way it is today. Today it's very hands-on. How are you doing? Is everything okay? Can I get you some ice? Can I get you some of this? Do you need a sandwich? It's very, and I'm, I'm very grateful for it because it's very, the, the nurses are very personable they have to actually check and check three times before they even do every little drug. And before it was just like, you know, they didn't care. And so sometimes my arm would swell up real big and my mom would be mad and she'd run out and try to find somebody and no one was present and they'd run in. My arm was all swollen, you know? And so I'm grateful that, that things have advanced Mm. to where some of the things I'd experienced, she's not experiencing, but she's also experiencing things I didn't experience. And so I'm getting to, I'm getting to see another side of this because she's stage four, which was, that's the last one. There's no more stages except death, you know? And so, and I was a stage one. And so our, our experiences on that realm were different. Like I had radiation. She's not going to have radiation because mm-hmm. uh, there's no localized place they can radiate. And right. so she eventually won't do that. They may have to do some other treatments um, just to make sure that it's gone. And so it's definitely a different experience. I had mustard gas chemo, mm. which they don't do that now, but back oh. then they did. And it, it, it so cured toxic. me. It's very toxic. Uh, the the red one, it's, I, I call it the red dragon. A lot of people call it the red devil, whatever. I call it the red dragon, and it is very toxic. They come in, and they put on hazmat suits, and oh. they inject it. But when I was a kid, nope, they just throw it in a bag, and they just, they don't <laughs> care. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I, I didn't, you, at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. that it was a big deal, but um, very interesting, very interesting processing through it. And, and getting to relive it. As a 45-year-old is weird. It's I very know, strange. I know. It's very strange. It's a strange opportunity, I feel, to be more self-compassionate. Yeah. I feel like now you can go back and hold the child that you were, metaphorically, of course. Yeah. But you are still, you still carry that child within you. And I feel like sometimes that child really didn't have, I mean, there was no, it was cold place to be <laughs> it. But now I've never even have, heard cancer. I didn't even know what that was as a 14-year-old. Uh, now you have the warmth to give to maybe a younger version of yourself. Well, I don't, and I, and I don't know. Have you thought about it in these words? I have. And it's, it, the weird thing is I've, I've thought through, there's things that impact me about this, this, this moment in my life. Number one, the way my family responded. I, I think that was the biggest impact of it all is our family drew so close together uh-huh. and we went through this as a family. So uh-huh. my parents were also in ministry and they stopped everything. They just abandoned everything and mm-hmm. focused on me for a year. Mm-hmm. Nobody, uh, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. And so that affected me in a, a really big way. My siblings were with us. Every time mm-hmm. we went to treatment, we'd all sit together and we'd, we'd How laugh. How many siblings and, do you have? So I have, a, oh, I have an older sister and mm-hmm. a younger brother. Okay. And then now I have a much younger brother, but he mm-hmm. wasn't around at the time. Um, so it was just, it was us five and we did it as a family. And so it wasn't just me receiving treatments. It was the family receiving treatments. It wasn't just me um, having a bad day. It was everybody having a bad day and us learning how to navigate that as a family. For me, that was so monumental. And I think maybe that's why there was zero hesitation when this happened with Christy for me just to drop it all and, and be with her. Now, so I'm grateful. Had I had a template. You I had, had an example. I had a witness. And I had, I had a cloud of witnesses, if you want to put it like that, mm. that I got to see and live from. Mm. I, got to, I got to watch my parents mm. do this. Because it really surprised me as a 14-year-old. I actually asked them. I said, so am I going to go and do this by myself while you guys stay? Because we were in Costa Rica. And I said, mm. you guys going to stay here as I go do this by myself? No, Ray, we're, we're, this is nothing. And they had just started a brand new ministry. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was an infant. And mm. it really impressed me. It really did. It, 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 it affected me deeply. And so mm. looking back at it at a 14-year-old, there's it's not that I needed to give compassion to it. It was really I needed to see how monumental mm. the, the drastic change was yes. in my family's life. Yes, yes. I think 
at 14, you cannot realize the big implications, the big right. picture, because you're really focused, as you should be. You're cognitively really not able to abstract things. Right. I'm thinking about it from a developmental perspective. And so you it's were... True. You were you were a child who had something bad happen to them, but I feel like it's it's kind of interesting to have this opportunity. I feel often we as parents get second chances. Yeah. So we become the parents that we would have liked to interesting. have. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So in some sense, that's what I was getting at when when I said, "Are you looking at yourself as?" Well, and being a workaholic, here here's where the full circle comes around: is that I was becoming, I was becoming a, maybe I don't even know if this is true, but I was becoming did a you, did parent not let me that I didn't want to be. Oh, okay, okay. You know what you I'm did saying? It's like my question. the opportunity. Sorry, ah. the opportunity <laughs> to go through this right now, which you, you use that word a minute ago, opportunity, and it's true allowed me to actually reset my family. And I want my kids mm -hmm. to actually view this as, oh, this is a big deal. Like when we when we suffer, we do this together. When we yeah. when we laugh, we do this together. When we're when we're we going through cancer, we do this together. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that my kids are 10 and 14. I'm hoping that they're grasping the same thing I grasped as a 14 year old myself, mm -hmm. which was, okay, this is not just that person's thing. This is our thing. We're gonna do this together. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, it reminds me of this uh, amazing writer. Uh, she was a child therapist. Her name was Salma Freiburg. And she talks about angels and ghosts in the nursery. So we all have these amazing experiences, which are the angels growing up. Mm -hmm. And then we have some ghosts that are challenging experience. So the cancer was a ghost for you. right? And so we all have those. But but as we grow older, the angels stay and uh, we can rework the ghosts. Mm -hmm. So it's like parenting is implicit. It's like bicycling. Once you learn it, you kind of do the good and bad together. Yeah. So sometimes to break the cycle, you almost have to pause. Yes. And work on your ghosts. Yes. But the angels are always there. Yes. So you take them for granted because we all have had angels in our life yeah. uh, growing up. Well, most up. of us want to just get over it, let's say. Use that word, get over it and leave it. And you can't. You drag them. They just drag with you. You can they're like run tethered. away. You can try to run yeah, away. They're, they're tethered to you and you can't get away from <laughs> them, you know? You, you cannot, as much as angels. So I think the ghosts and the angels are both together. So if you carry the angels, you carry the ghosts. And hmm. so hmm. I feel... You could, could bury, you could try to bury them and not deal with them. Yeah. That's a good way. So, But maybe, they'll always pop out. <laughs> I, I think that's what it is, is the strings. It's still in, it's still tethered to your soul. And so tethered, it could be oh buried. Gosh, that's a powerful way to say it. Yeah, it's buried, but it's still, it's like that old game, that old thing where you put the can in the, in the string mm -hmm. and you talk through the can and they can hear it over there. That's what it does. It's still there talking to your soul, even though you buried it. It's like you're riding a bicycle and you have these noisy, threaded tin cans <laughs> that you want to get rid of because yeah. they are useless But right. they, and you just want to cut them off, right. but they will still be there till right. you can actually, I guess. We got to wrap them up. Gotta, I don't know. You got to wrap them up and deal with them because they're, they, they become who you are. They're, this is really a silly um, comparison, but that movie Inside Out deals mm -hmm. with this very thing. Mm -hmm. It's like... You can't have the happy without the sad. And the girl was trying to ignore the sad. Well, every every happy moment probably had a sad one right before it. And so they're together. And yeah. so once you acknowledge those two, it's that's that's what's important. I'll tell you one thing that's really reawakened um, in me. I found uh, when I was 14, I started writing what was happening. Oh. And I forgot. I mean, I knew that I had done it, but I'd really forgot. I didn't think I had kept it. And so when we got out of the hospital in February, I started digging through the attic oh my and I found my big box of memories oh and my, my mom made me this big like um, scrapbook. It was back in the scrapbook days. Right. It was falling apart, but big old scrapbook and I'm flipping through it and I find my journal and I had oh. written, I started like, like a week after I had my biopsy. Oh. And so I started writing and it, and, and it's funny because I wrote everything 
until my first cancer treatment. I, I described my first cancer treatment and I never wrote again until the end of the, the, the time. So I wrote and then a year, actually a couple years later, I wrote another entry. And it's interesting to look at it because I really had this, I was inspired to write and I think I'm, I was supposed to write. So over the years I've had this thing and I've heard you've experienced too, like it's there and I'm supposed to do it, but I just mm -hmm. haven't taken time to do it. Mm -hmm. And then with Christy, that's, it's all come out again. Ugh, and so the writing beautiful. has come out again. And so I'm, I know that's one of the things I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm really impressed with the blog that you have been doing yeah. and just proud of how you and Christy have, uh, have, have gone on this journey. And it's, it's been a privilege to be a witness as friends. I know me and Amea yeah. have just been, we, we, we are witnesses because we cannot do much and we don't know much and we know what you share. Mm -hmm. on the blogs and I, I read the blogs sometimes <laughs> because sometimes some of it is painful and I it's know. it's not easy to to see your friends in I pain. I know. So I know when I'm avoiding reading, it's not because I am not curious. It's more because uh, I can imagine. Well, I think the pain. we we for for good or for good or bad, we are very public. And I think it's because of our calling. Um, you know, Christy and I, when we met, one of the reasons that we got married was we were both walking kind of the same direction. Mm -hmm. And so we just said, hey, we're both going this direction. Let's just go together and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll do it together. And so we've always done everything together. Well, because of that, our lives have been very transparent. Like people have had, and it probably started when I had cancer because my parents, because they were in ministry, there was people everywhere that knew mm -hmm. we didn't have internet, we didn't have blogs, you know, mm -hmm. but my parents would write a letter and I'm looking through my, my scrapbook my mom gave me wow. and there's, there's letters from all over the world, Japan and Korea and Africa and then all over the United States. People wrote me personal notes saying they were praying for me and they were with me. That really inspired me. That, mm -hmm. that, that, that monumental, actually, I was reading through it and one of my good friends had written me a note as a 14 year old. Ugh. I didn't know who they were. But now they're friends, oh. and I didn't even know they did that. And I look, I just sat, found it in February, and I took a picture of it. I sent her a, a Facebook message, and I'm like, I cannot believe you wrote this to the 14-year-old kid. Really cool. Anyway, um, the since our lives in my life then was open, and then Christie's in my life, you know, we we traveled around the country, we met people, we raised money, we we went to a, a Costa Rica, started a ministry. I think our lives have always been exposed. And so when we came to this cancer thing, the commitment we made to each other right away was we're not going to hide. Because mm. I think most people that go through traumatic things, even cancer or mental illness or anything, they want to they wanna like hide. Because there is so much shame in suffering. And, and that's what it is. It's like, let me see if I can figure this out so that I can manage it and then I can present to you something that's managed. That's not what we decided. We, we actually said as bad and uncomfortable and as nasty as this is going to be, everyone's invited in. And so like you, they can either come in or not, <laughs> but we're not going to close the door. Mm -hmm. Like we've, we've decided to be very public yeah. now with a caveat, we're human. So we're going to be, we're going to be dumb. Sometimes we're going to be, um, wrong. Sometimes we're going to be, nasty sometimes we're going to be mean sometimes it's just the humanity we're going to be human basically and so along the journey some of the things that i've written are very human they're just like this is what we're experiencing today and here it is and uh so and i don't regret any of it it's just it's, so it's been it's a journey. true privilege because i feel like i know you from before a little bit yeah. and it makes a difference because we've done several podcasts even before so yeah. we've become good friends in the last, uh, I don't know. It feels like we have known each other for longer because <laughs> I know. Because well, temperamentally we, say, we are say similar. June, it's like I know. Come on, it's been more than that. <laughs> no, it's. I think temperamentally we we are entrepreneurs and yeah. open to new ideas and get excited by shiny objects that might <laughs> not <That's>, be gold. <laughs> well, I actually started writing a book. Now that you say shiny object, and one of my chapters is shiny objects. 
chasing oh shiny, shiny objects. <laughs> shiny objects. So yes, shiny ideas. Yeah, yeah. Shiny yeah. new ideas, which may or may not, which might be just mirages. Well, and a lot of them just fizzle out. You get to them, you're like, mm. yeah. It's like the desert, right? You yes. have this yes. this beautiful gold that you're seeing. and you're chasing it. You're chasing the gold, but and you get to it, and it's like a little piece of glass <laughs> or just reflection the light yeah. creates that mirage yeah. so anyway but i feel like that uh, we are maybe a little bit dumb in that where yeah. we we chase things that are dead ends <laughs> <laughs> it's true that well that keeps it interesting to, though it's fun like, it's get to me. that's how you get to page 11 in your life <laughs> exactly exactly no See, i mean there's one blog i wrote um early on a uh, post and it was about preparing yourself for this season and it's not like no one wakes up one day and says i'm gonna have cancer in 2028 so i'm gonna get ready you know no one does that so you always have to be stacking your life to be ready and i'm not saying be fatalistic and i'm not even no, saying being no, negative i know what you mean but it's the relationships that you're de developing it's your frontline battle group you're developing it's your supply line you're developing so i think i called it supply line the, the blog post and it's just we've been building a supply line for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And so coming to 2022, after we've been married and known each other for 25 years, it's like, this is, we were built for this right now because we've been preparing for this ah, for 25 years. That's so beautiful. But if you don't, if you're not aware, and I think, and this is what's sad to me as a, as a pastor, and I'm sure this is what you experience as well in therapy is people that don't have a supply line. Like you said, there's people that don't have a support system, don't have a family, don't have don't have any anyone that even cares about them. That, unfortunately, it's systemic, but unfortunately, it is also a decision. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. um, and we think, I don't need anybody. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need to, I don't need anybody to walk with me. But you, we were never meant to walk alone. But for I some reason, that. we do. For some reason, we do. I believe that. And like our tendency is to walk alone, even though we weren't meant to. I believe that. I believe we were not, I believe that we all feel lonely and that our pain is unique. And yeah. I actually think that our pain is not unique. And right. we were meant to belong. We were meant to walk together and we were meant to be imperfect. So we need each other. Like, exactly. I guess if I was perfect, would I be doing this podcast with you? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, the answer is no. <laughs> Uh, no, but it's it is a it's a strange it's a it's a strange opportunity to be able to go back and actually experience and relive because mm -hmm. you don't know how you're gonna be until you're there. That is true. Because I can, I mean, you know how it is. You go to the Rockies, you plan, you pack, you you do your thing, and then you get up there and don't have your sticks. You don't have walking sticks. It's like, well, I should have prepared. Well, the next time if I'm there, I'm gonna have walking sticks. And I think life is that way. If we would if we would take every time everything we encounter and observe and then pick things up along the way, we'll be ready when something difficult happens. And maybe not. And that's okay. It's okay to have that self-compassion be like, man, I fell apart this time. Okay. I fell apart. Yeah. That's and I've acted poorly a few times. I, I would tell you <laughs> in the hospital. Would... It's because we were hospitalized. Christy yeah. was, I say we, Christy was hospitalized two different times for extended oh, lengths. I know. And so, you know, you're in this crisis mode and you're on high alert, mm -hmm. well, you can't stay there for a long time. I know. And so eventually you come down, your emotions get in the way, and then you yell at a doctor, and it's like, so that's happened a few times. And then Christy, being as sick as she was, would look over and be like, Ray, you're not being nice. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me let me reset. Let me, let me, let me mm -hmm. cleanse myself and let's start over, you know? She is your angel. <laughs> I know, it's been, it's been, it's been amazing. And here's the witness word, is it's been amazing to witness it. Oh. And I've been there, front row. Like You're this, witnessing yourself and two and her, of you and, and your powerful, family and well, and a powerful woman and a strong woman and it's oh. just and she didn't think she was and she still didn't think she is and I'm like okay yeah you are and uh um but isn't that the humility of greatness probably that yeah. you don't see yourself probably yeah probably it's interesting but even even on Monday she's like you don't have to go to chemo with me I can do it by myself and I was like. I'm not missing any chemos. What are you talking about? And she goes, well, my sister can go. My mom can go. I was like, no, that's my spot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going there. And so I, I I told her, I'm not missing any chemos unless I'm no, dead. I'm not missing miss any chemos. chemos. And so she's like, oh, you don't have to. And I was like, I know I don't have to, 
but this is what I'm doing. This is my, this is my choice. choice. I'm going to go with you to get your blood drawn. I'm going to go with you to every appointment. I'm going to go because that's the journey we're on and, and the decision we've made or that I've made. So anyway. Thank you so much. This yeah. is a true honor to walk with, with you for a little bit in this last one hour. I think Thank I don't you. know how long we have been walk, talking, but it's been a long time and it's... We're over an hour. We were supposed to only be 45 minutes. I know, I know. But this, uh, I was thinking this is a powerful enough moment for me to just be yeah thank you and thank you for just letting uh, letting me walk with you on this on this path for this particular hour thank you this is all we can do for each other is yeah. be a witness yeah and i think that is all you needed you didn't need me to fix your pain in this moment and i don't even know if you could have it was just I think there's a few times during this journey that, you know, there's a couple people and I, there's lots of people that are in our lives and a lot of people are lifting, but there's been a couple people that have actually gone out of their way. And I think everybody would, if they had the opportunity, they would, but you, you know, you brought me the best food I ever had in the hospital. <laughs> when I was in the hospital, that was awesome. I was but, so touched know, by it. Kind of, it was very good. <laughs> Thank like, you. I actually, I took pictures and I sent them to my family because I'm like, <laughs> I got this food. You guys didn't, you know, <laughs> so that was really good. But, you know, there's a couple people that actually went out of their way. And like, I don't want to minimize anybody else because oh, a sure. lot of people are on our journey and a lot of people are, I mean, around the world are, are, are lifting us up, which is really awesome. But there's a few people that actually have actually, you know, come to my house and come to the hospital and, and done things just because the opportunity was there. And so thank you for that. It's been it's been a privilege. Swapping took me to my breakfast, uh, birthday breakfast too. So oh yes, we need week, to celebrate <laughs> all birthdays, birth months. For me, there not go, birthdays, birth, month, yes. birth months. See, Christy says that too, and I'm just like, eh, birthday's good. <laughs> but yeah, Christy's we, birth birth month. <laughs> yeah, me and Amea, my husband, have birthdays in September, so we have to celebrate the entire month. That's great. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, Christy's July, mine's March, so. I just get a day. <laughs> but Swapna made it a month because she took me to yes. breakfast afterwards. So that was nice. <laughs> that was nice. And we went to Cafe Cacao, which is very good food. Hard to get into. I mean, Hard to get so in. Swapna told me she had a hookup and really, I mean, we still waited. I know. The hookup <laughs> didn't work this time. <laughs> next time. Next time. Next but, time. No, thank you for, for letting me talk and, and talk through this. But um, thank you. That's good. And we're still in it. I thank think you. I think the interesting thing with, with Christy's journey, she's... We're, we're not in the middle, but we're not in the beginning. We're not the end. It's just kind of we're in there somewhere, you know. You are on the journey. And this yeah. is going to be transformational for whatever yeah. the next step is in your life. Yeah. I know for me, like one thing is writing is a thing that I need to, I don't need to let go. And mm -hmm. I feel myself as we're getting used to the season, I'm, I'm letting go. And I'm like, no, don't let go of that, you know. so Yeah, don't let go because I think we, we can, we are going to maybe write the podcast book, right? Yes. Yes. So I'm, I'm getting your commitment in oh, front yeah. of the million witnesses. <laughs> the millions that are going to listen to this. Mm. <laughs> Would you write us, please? <laughs> oh, Encourage good. Ray and yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Awesome. Well, very good. But uh, well, uh, it's good. Let's end for today. And we will do at least once a month till you have more space in your life. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we're hoping to make this a couple times a month at least, which be good. I was hoping once every other week, but yeah. let's see what life we'll holds. I went to the beach last week, so I left you high and dry. So I mean, you know. that is fine. That is fine. <laughs> That's why I said at the beginning, it's kind of like every day we're just kind of like whatever, you know, whatever comes today yeah. we're gonna take. So very good. Well, I appreciate that. This was this was really good, and it was good for me. To talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for sharing. All right.